I'm Rachel. And I'm Hannah. And welcome to Crime Spot Double Takes. This is the podcast where we bully criminals for being stupid and take a deep dive into the crimes with a twist. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're super excited to have you guys. We've been working on this for a hot minute. Got a few good stories lined up for you. But before that, why don't we say a little bit about ourselves? Well, um, this is Rachel, and I am studying social work, and I'm just a old lady in a 22-year-old body. <laughs> hey, this is Hannah. A little bit about me. I am an ex-journalist for reasons I don't want to go into right now, and I just love research and crimes, and I'm not a criminal, so maybe this is my outlet for it. But anyways, <laughs> Rachel's hilarious, and I'm sort of sometimes funny, so like, just we'll for enjoy the record, I'm not a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any hoosies, um, I guess I'll just start right in. So, I don't know about you, but rich people crimes fascinate me. Because, you know, there's a certain thing that, like, not every crime is a rich person crime, but there are a lot of crimes that are rich people crime. Like, I could never get away with fraud. I feel like that's a rich person thing. Yeah. But one of the most, like, rich person things I have ever heard of is, like, Hitman. Oh, yeah. You've got to have money for yeah, that. Yeah, you, you got to have money. See, like, me as a poor person, if I wanted to, you know, get a Hitman, I'd just be my own Hitman. I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. I've got things to do. I've got a job. I've got responsibilities. <laughs> so, anyways. Well, even, like, the crappy Hitman men are like <laughs> 3000 bucks, and I can't scrounge that up. So. Oh, you've been looking up Hitmen and their prices? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I watch a lot of Investigation Discovery, so. <laughs> I mean, no judgment. <laughs> the one that I want to talk about today actually happened in 2013, and it happened in China. Okay, get ready for this. This is an absolute roller coaster, Hannah. So, our homeboy... Oh, sorry. Also, just to preface this, there was an opinion on this article that I was reading. So, I'm sorry for saying every name wrong in here. That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'll forgive you later. <laughs> just the entire time when I is twitching. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, Tan Yuhi decided to hire a hitman to, you know, take out his pal. Not his pal, his competitor. Wei Mao. Because, you know, that's what you do when you have a competitor. You just give him a little stabby stab. So he hired a different hitman called Shi Guanggan <laughs> and offered 2 million yen, which, like, comes to about 310 USD. So, like, I feel like that's really low. Wait, I wait. don't know. 310 dollars? That's okay. quite the change. Two million yen to three hundred and ten dollars. Sorry, three hundred and ten thousand. Don't mind me. <laughs> I was gonna say I can afford that hitman. <laughs> like, sign me up. <laughs> Worst hitman ever. <laughs> so our boy Xi was like, um, you know, that's cool, and I like getting paid, but I could just hire another hitman to do the deed, right, and pay him less. <laughs> so I was like, well. That was, um, you know, that's fine. You do you, Xie. So he hires our boy, Mo. That was also wrong, but we're going with it. Um, so he also had a great original idea. And do you know what he did? 
Did he hire another he one? He hired another one. <laughs> <laughs> and so he hired Yang Ka Shang. So Yang was like, okay, I like money. So let's hire another hitman. I mean, I like money too, but. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is getting out of hand. So finally it comes to Ling Xianxi. So he was the fifth hitman. And so he kind of cracks me up. He apparently figured out the original cost and how it, like, got less and less until it came to him. So he told the, <laughs> the target to fake his own death. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he could just get away with the crime or get the money. And uh-huh. then the man would still survive, which I don't know why you're a hitman. Like, I guess hitman have feelings too, right? <laughs> Or maybe he was just the laziest hitman. Okay, maybe. Like, they're all a level of lazy, but he's lazy. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, how much was he paid? Oh, it doesn't even say. Oh, I was going to say, if he was just paid, like, $50, I wouldn't risk going to prison for that. So maybe that was it. (laughs) Well, because of our boy, it just, it went through, you know, the chains, and the police found out about it. So all five hitmen... And the original man who ordered the hit, all were sent to prison. (laughs) Nice. I just, like, I'm kind of curious. Is there, like, how do you know other hitmen? Maybe it's, like... Like an underground hitman convention, you know? Y'all hang out together? Or they have a social club or something. A a hitman social club. I support that. Yeah. I'm gonna make this way cooler. I don't support that. I promise. (laughs) I'm going to make this way cooler in my mind than it actually is. Like a speakeasy setup. Oh, gotcha. Oh, oh, like in Black Panther? Yeah. Yeah, when they, like, go to the... In the beginning when they go to the club, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, see? <laughs> I don't think that's what it is, but... No, I think it's... I think it's much more lame. Like, somebody just hanging out in a really trashy apartment. And then, like, three other guys come in and they're like, oh, let's all be hitmen. And they're like, cool. I don't know. Would you be living in a trashy... Well, okay, here's my question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have they been hitmen before? Because if they have, they've already made some dough. But are they just, but if they haven't, are they just like really desperate? I feel like the man at the top probably because he was the first choice. He's got to do some hits, right? Yeah. But maybe as it went down, their hitting experience has also gone down. <laughs> their hitting experience. <laughs> So, I don't know. Did they ask for resumes? Is there documentation of this? Because I'd really like to see the resume. Yeah. How how does this work? <laughs> see? Rich people crimes. What am I t- huh. But, like, is that, like, knowledge you inherit when you become rich? How yeah. does one even get As into that? get $1 million, they're like, listen, here's <laughs> the list of approved hitmen for the rich. <laughs> <laughs> When or is hit- it something they're born with? Right. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> <laughs> So, there's that. I just think it's funny that it went through five men and they all got arrested. Yeah, what doinks? <laughs> You're welcome for that term. <laughs> Sorry. What doinks? <laughs> it's my professional opinion. I don't know what I'm even a professional of, but there you go. <laughs> I don't know either, but with that language, you're probably pretty high up in the ranks. Of a 50s mafia. <laughs> like, 
Maybe even 20s. Yeah, I don't you, know. You were probably a part of, like, the sharks in West Side Story. That's <laughs> what he said. Like, what a doink. <laughs> <laughs> Going to a rumble. <laughs> nah, I'm not even cool enough for that. <laughs> Any hoosies. <laughs> Sandwiched between our stupid criminals segments, which, I mean, granted, they're all stupid. Like, (laughs) most crimes are, in fact, stupid. Yeah, which is not to say that the people doing them are inherently dumb, but what they did sure was. Yeah. Could have used a little bit more thought. Maybe, um, I don't know, not committing crimes. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Okay. Back into it. So, have you ever heard of the Excedrin murders? No. Okay. You are in for a treat. Sweet. All right, so before I hop into it, I'm just going to list out my sources that I used for this. Well, most of my sources. I'll have a complete list in the show notes. Um, For this story, I used History.com, Murderpedia, People, New York Times, LA Times, New York Daily News, ABC News, CBS News, and In Plain Sight. That's where I got all this information from. If it's wrong, I tried blame them. So, <clears throat> let's dive into it. The Excedrin murders happened in Seattle, Washington in the mid-80s. Just to back up and give some context to this, on July 11th, 1986, Susan Snow, who was a 40-year-old Auburn bank manager, which is just a small town near Seattle, she woke up at 6. She um, took two extra strength Excedrin that morning, as was her routine, she walked into the kitchen every morning, popped a couple of Excedrin for the caffeine kick, which I hadn't really ever thought of doing for some reason. No. Yeah, both she and her husband like to do that for the little boost. Um, I prefer coffee, but, you know, whatever floats her boat. Um, She wished her daughter Haley good morning. She was a 15-year-old. And then she went to take a shower. Uh, Her husband, Paul Webb King, who was a trucker, Um, had taken the two Excedrin, kissed his wife goodbye, and left for work. The two actually had just gotten married a few months before. Um, This was Susan's third marriage, but she'd had a couple of rough marriages before that were kind of abusive. So she was really happy in this marriage. Um, Everyone at the time said, yeah, they were just madly in love. So everything seemed really well. She had a good job. Life was going well. All's well. About 6.30, Sue's daughter, Haley, um, was looking for her mom. It was a little later than she expected to see her, so she went up to the bathroom and she found her collapsed on the floor. Sue was unresponsive and had a very faint pulse. So they called the ambulance, took Sue to the hospital, but she died later that day. So really sad, but also weird. Like, what's going on? Yeah. She's 40 years old, seems healthy. So because this was an unexpected death... An autopsy was conducted. That's pretty typical with any scenario like this. Now, during the autopsy, the hero of our story, Janet Miller, who was the assistant medical examiner, noticed something unusual. She could smell something like bitter almonds when she was performing the autopsy. Now, do you know what that indicates? No. So, bitter almond smell typically 
indicates to a coroner, not just generally, but like to a coroner, it indicates that cyanide poisoning took place. Stop it. Yeah. They ordered a special toxicology report on Susan's blood and found that she died from acute cyanide poisoning. Now, Susan was a really sweet person, didn't seem to have any enemies, so police were stumped. So they start looking initially for the source. They took her husband Paul in for questioning to see if there was anything there on his end that maybe something suspicious had come up, but they weren't finding anything. So they're testing all of the food in the house, all the medicine, and find that in her bottle of extra strength Excedrin, out of the 60 capsules in there, three were laced with cyanide, which makes it just really scary that her husband, too, could have been killed, but he just happened to get the right pill. Now, this news was extremely sensational in Seattle and in Washington just as a whole. Because three years previously were the Chicago Tylenol murders. Have you heard of those? No. (laughs) So, those murders um, are still unsolved. And what happened is that random bottles of Tylenol at the time were laced with potassium cyanide. Seven people died from it. Randomly. They don't know who did it. And it spurred on multiple copycats. That's just three years earlier. So, this creates, naturally, a panic in Seattle. Especially when a couple days later, another laced bottle was found at a grocery store nearby. Because of that, Bristol Myers, who is the manufacturer for Excedrin, they recalled all Excedrin in the area. Um, Along with that, a group of drug companies offered a $300,000 reward for the capture of the guilty party. Now, after news of Sue's poisoning came out in the news, Stella Nickel came forward with suspicions about her husband's sudden death. Stella Nickel, new party, nobody knows who she is. She goes to the police and tells them that she thinks her husband might have been poisoned by Excedrin as well. So her husband, he was 52 at the time, he had died the week previously on June 5th. Now, the catch was that his official cause of death was emphysema. But Stella didn't buy it. So she asked for an investigation on the medication. So police went ahead and she must have had some kind of pull. It's just impressive to me that they did this in the first place. (laughs) But um, police went ahead and ordered another toxicology on her husband. And it came back that, yep, he had been poisoned by cyanide as well. They've got a whole big mess on their hands. Now, while this is going on and the investigation into the Excedrin is um, happening with the police, um, Stella and Paul both filed wrongful wrongful death lawsuits against the manufacturer. They filed this lawsuit and Excedrin, not Excedrin, um, the manufacturer responds and does an investigation on their end. And the FBI is also involved because there is the Federal Anti-Tampering Act, which was passed after the Chicago Tylenol tamperings. Mm -hmm. So as soon as any medication tamperings occur, the FBI and federal agencies are automatically involved. So FBI goes and research, or they don't research, the (laughs) FBI goes and investigates the plant where the medicine had been manufactured, and they don't find any traces of cyanide at all. 
Like, nothing. So they rule out the manufacturing plant. So now they're back to square one and kind of thinking, okay, there's some kind of random psycho killer out there just randomly lacing excedrin <laughs> balls. Tossing, you know, cyanide wherever they dang well please. Right? Like, <laughs> Shouldn't be oh. laughing, but, I mean, that's a tactic. It is. <laughs> it's a weird one, but it's a tactic. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't care who dies. I just like the thrill of fear. Right? <laughs> of, like, I mean, chaos? What kind of psycho, like, thrives off of that? Like, I'm sure there's a very specific diagnosis but it's a unique person. Yeah. He just, yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's like you. All right, so they've ruled out the plant. Nothing came up with traces of cyanide. While this investigation is going on, Washington State places a 90-day ban on the sale of all non-prescription medication. So everything, not just Excedrin, everything's pulled. So back to the investigation. With... Uh, the pills that were discovered at Sue's house and then with Stella turning over all of the medications she had in their house, police are able to break down those pills and look for unique properties of the cyanide. So an interesting thing is the FBI crime lab found the cyanide contained flecks of an unknown green substance. After some investigation, they find out it's an algicide used in home aquariums. It's just called algae destroyer. So that's weird. I mean, right to the point, algae destroyer. Right. So <laughs> when you're excedrin and you're that's... cyanide, <laughs> my favorite side. <laughs> Get rid of any algae growing in you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, this murder was really looking out for you. I'm just kidding about that. I know. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. Rachel's eyes. <laughs> Rachel's eyes got huge as soon as she realized what she said. She's like, wait. No. <laughs> I, prom- I don't approve of any sort of murder. Thank you very much. I'm glad that's on the record. I was concerned. <laughs> you can quote me on that as we're doing a pod, you know? Anyways. Quote Rachel. <laughs> All right. So since the manufacturer was ruled out, investigators turned to the families to see if anything was going on there. Now, there was seemingly no connection between Sue and Bruce... So they didn't think that each of them were targeted. So in the investigation, they asked both Paul and Stella to take polygraphs. Now, polygraphs are controversial. They're not allowed in court as evidence because, you know, those results can be skewed. However, they're useful tools for police just to see if somebody's going to cooperate or stuff like that. So Paul agreed to take the polygraph. He passed just fine. Stella didn't. That doesn't necessarily indicate guilt. Her lawyer just um, said that she was too shaken up by everything going on and didn't want to go through something else. They're looking at the spouses, not really finding anything yet. Now, back to the investigation of the medicine itself. The FBI has found that five total bottles in the entire Seattle area were contaminated. Now, they tested over 100,000 Excedrin bottles, so... They were getting really into it. Only found five. The interesting thing is that Stella somehow had two of those five bottles. Also, she claimed that she bought each of them at two different locations at two different times in Seattle. She just randomly happened to have two bottles of the five tainted ones. Okay, Stella, gotta keep it stocked, do we? 
Right? <laughs> also, the the stats of that happening are... Slim. Slim to none. They're, they're little baby stats. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Stella's looking pretty... Stella's looking sus. Stella's looking sus. Stella. But that's all I have. So they start researching Stella. Researching. Like, this is a research paper. They start <laughs> investigating Stella. And the circumstantial evidence starts coming in. So, they discover that Stella had taken out a $76,000 life insurance policy on Bruce shortly before he died. Now, here's the catch. With this life insurance policy, she was going to get an additional $100,000 if his death was ruled as an accident. Now, if you remember initially, Bruce's death was ruled natural causes due to emphysema. So, police suspect that she drew attention to her husband's death so she can get that payout. Stella. Stella. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Girl. Stella's dead to me. I felt bad for about two seconds. But I don't know yet, so my suspicion is clear, though. Yeah. Anyways. Keep in mind, it's still just circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. Now, they did notice that on the policy, the, the new policy, at least two of Bruce's signatures on there were forged. Stella! <laughs> Stella! <laughs> All right. So, another thing that was interesting is that even before Sue Snow's death occurred, Stella was insisting to police and to medical examiners that her husband's death, there, that something was fishy with it. So she kept insisting that they look into it some more. Maybe you could suspect something was up just because it's so sudden. Grief takes different turns. But it was a little funky to them. Now, they couldn't find concrete evidence that she had bought or used cyanide. So they've got these pieces, but that's it. They suspect her, but they can't charge her. Let's pause and take a look at who is Stella Nichol. So Stella grew up poor in Colton, Oregon. She, her family is very poor. They didn't have a lot growing up. Maybe because of that, or in spite of her circumstances, she became pregnant at 16 with her daughter, Cynthia. Shortly after she gave birth to Cynthia, she moved to Cali shortly after where she married and she had her second daughter. So she is really young. Two daughters. Youths. Yep. Those youths. (laughs) Those those youths. (laughs) Have you seen New Girl? Yeah, absolutely. I've (laughs) I feel like my spirit animal is Schmidt. (laughs) Yeah. Man, what a good guy. (laughs) I feel like you have to be careful with that, but yeah. Oh, I mean, like, good is, yeah, it's a... He's hilarious. Yeah, he's a character, that's for sure. (laughs) As are you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Stella is in Cali with her two daughters. She's married. She has a rough marriage. And during this, I'm not sure if this occurred while she was married or after her marriage. She was convicted for fraud in 1968, where she spent two months in jail for that. Shortly after, in that same year, no, sorry, in the next year, she was charged with abuse for beating Cynthia with a curtain rod. 
and for that she was just ordered to counseling. Two years after that, in 1971, she was convicted for forgery. So, petty crimes with some abuse peppered in there, but nothing that would, you know, indicate murder. Mm -hmm. Still, she's kind of rough. She liked to party and drink a lot, um, had kind of a crazy lifestyle. She was at bars a lot. During this period, after um, her stint of crimes from 1968 to 1971, she met a guy named Bruce Nickel, which is the Bruce that died. Her, her husband. Yeah. So they met in 1974, and at the time, Bruce was a big partier and drinker. So they suited lifestyles perfectly. So they got married in 1976, and shortly after they were married... Bruce entered rehab, and he quit his drinking. Which, you know, good on Bruce. That's really hard to do. That's a hard thing. Way to go, Bruce. Yeah. Stella, though, wasn't a fan. So she was really frustrated because she still wanted to go out and party and go to bars all the time, and she thought that Bruce was just boring. So she was frustrated in her marriage. They didn't make a lot of money, so they were living in a trailer, and... This is my favorite thing. And it's rude. I'm sorry. But it's just a quote I found. Her neighbor at this point called Stella a washed up honky tonk girl. (laughs) Which I feel like. That is quite the insult. Right? (laughs) Have you seen the... It's like a Facebook fight between old ladies about stealing a broccoli casserole recipe. No. I will have to send it to you because this lady, she says, keep my name out your thin mouth. (laughs) So I put those in the same category. (laughs) Just great insults. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. I've got a Shakespearean one, but I feel like that's a different topic. So (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Next time. All right. So Stella's a great gal. Now, during this time where she's mad at Bruce because he's boring and won't drink, She's bored, so she picks up a hobby of maintaining a large home aquarium. Yeah? Yeah? Um, Stella, algae destroyer, does that oh, ring a bell, my yeah. guy? Ding, ding, ding. Okay, so she has an aquarium. So, charges are not brought against Stella until 1988, when her daughter, Cynthia, who at the time now is 28, she comes forward to police with some surprising news. With some surprising news. That wasn't a word. Surprising news. Surprising news. <laughs> so, she was coming forward because, quote, it was the right thing for me to do. So, she tells police that she said she knew her mother was planning to kill Bruce, and she had planned on murdering him nearly as soon as they were married. So, basically, once Bruce stopped his drinking, Stella was like, I'm bored. I want him gone. Which, I don't know why that's the first resort instead of, like, divorce or whatever, but okay. Yeah, I feel like there's um, other options, in my opinion. Yeah, this one's a lot harder and a lot riskier. Yeah, this one could relate or relate to some serious crimes. You know, I guess it works if you say it in a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Cut that, Theo's. (laughs) Yeah, Theo's cut that. Maybe. Unless it's funny. Mm-hmm. So the word I was thinking of was result, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it came to me. <laughs> so anyway, 
stories, but I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't the same thing as what you said. Relate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Cynthia said she knew her mother was planning to kill Bruce and had planned on murdering him nearly as soon as they were married. We covered that. Her mother had talked about getting rid of Bruce multiple times over her marriage. She alternated between wanting to hire a hitman. They were topical. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cynthia claimed her mother attempted to poison Bruce with foxglove, which contains digitalis, but it didn't work. And she also said that her mother had discussed with her how they could spend life insurance money if Bruce just happened to die, which seems a little suspicious. Yeah, it's, it's really getting there. Mm-hmm. She goes forward to the police. Because of her testimony, police immediately arrest Stella. Now, Stella claims that Cynthia is just saying this because she wanted to collect that reward money that was offered way back at the beginning. Remember that? The $300,000? Oh, $300,000. <laughs> that was your story. <laughs> yeah. So she, Stella claims that Cynthia just wanted the money, so she threw her mother under the bus. Now, after they arrested Stella, they discovered also that she had borrowed from the library but never returned the book called Human Poisoning. And they also found her fingerprints over multiple books all about cyanide. So she's all over the cyanide books, right? I Ah. feel like that shouldn't be allowed in a public... Well, I mean... Public libraries are for everybody, but that's scary that people can just pick up a murder book. It's true. Um, a poison book. To a be fair, book. what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> At least I use my laptop and not leave my feet. No, nope, they can trace they your can data. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to get arrested for just research. All right, so. They arrest Stella. She's indicted on December 9th, 1987 before a grand jury on five counts of product tampering, two of which resulted in deaths, which were Bruce and Sue. Now, this trial, in my opinion, went really quickly because she was found guilty on May 9th of the next year. So that's five months from the time of her arrest to her guilty verdict. Oh. Which is impressive to me. So she was found guilty after five days of jury deliberation. The jury was deadlocked after several days. So the judge ordered them to kind of hurry it up or a mistrial would be declared. So on the final day that they had the holdout, (laughs) that makes them sound bad. (laughs) The person who had a not guilty vote before changed their mind and they came forward with a guilty verdict. Now, the legal team at the time for Stella attempted that there were there was jury tampering and judicial misconduct going on, so they asked for a mistrial, but that was denied. Which I feel like those kind of claims are always something they're going to try as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Stella was sentenced to two 90-year sentences for the tampering that resulted in the deaths of Bruce and Susan. She was also given three additional 10-year sentences for the three other tamperings that occurred. So all these sentences ran concurrently, which means she serves a total of 90 years. She, fun fact, was the first person to be found guilty of violating the Federal Anti-Tampering Act. 
That is fun, right? <laughs> Going in the list of fun facts I have right below. Do you know there's only 25 blimps left in the world? What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen a blimp lately. I so know. that explains it. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Why is that? I don't, well, maybe danger. Maybe. <laughs> or people just don't care anymore. Like, they used to have the Goodyear blimp all the yeah. time and... No, Does that still just float like, around, just like Bebop? The I, don't, I haven't seen it. Did it just Bebop around, or did they just like <laughs> release it for On events? occasion? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know a lot of things. <laughs> that is a fun fact. That's more fun than my fun fact. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody sent being sent to prison is kind of fun. <laughs> so at the time... Yeah. <laughs> at the time of her sentencing, Stella was 44. She was eligible for parole in 2018 when she was 73, but her um, appeal for parole at that period was denied, and she is still imprisoned at the Federal Correctional Institute in Dublin, California. To this day, Stella continues to maintain her innocence. Now, um, something interesting that I just thought I'd throw in here just to give a nod to this going on. Um, some people have started to claim that Stella was innocent. So a 2006 investigation claimed that the FBI didn't turn over all the documents they could. And they allege that these documents the FBI held on to could absolve Stella. So this research was done by private detectives Al Farr and Paul Ciolino. I'm sorry, I couldn't find a way how to pronounce it, so... That's probably wrong. Um, they also said the files indicate investigators focused on her too early and ignored evidence and tampered with two witnesses. However, that's just a side note because I couldn't find anything that came of it. And besides two random stories I found, one in 2001 and one in 2006, nothing has come of it. So Stella's still in prison. Nothing's been overturned. Legally, she's still guilty. So, interesting, but doesn't necessarily mean anything. Mm -hmm. So, that is the Excedrin murders. Wow. Stella really took us on a ride there. She did. Um, that's interesting that they, like, we still can't confirm completely if she's guilty, even though there's enough evidence to prove her guilty, obviously, but there still is that deliberation of her yeah. innocence. It's interesting. I feel, I, I, I hate to say I feel, because I know that comes up a lot in big cases like this, mm -hmm. where somebody's just desperately trying to prove anything. So since nothing formal's been filed, I mean, the investigators didn't file anything. She hasn't filed a new case. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. It may not be true at all. Stella could be just pulling a quick one. She could be. That honky-tonk woman. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if people in prison know that she was called a honky-tonk woman at one point. I mean, I've seen pictures of her, and she does look like it, so I'm sure oh. she just came she into it again. Some, <laughs> some honky-tonk vibes. <laughs> this one kind of makes me really happy, because it's like... <laughs> you just wait, because it will... <laughs> it's going to be quite the little, little crime for you. Um, so this happened in 2011, and our boy Terry 
Wait, he has two first names, so Trent Terry is his name, but we're just gonna call him Terry for funsies. Why Trent <laughs> Terry? Just call him like TT. Oh, TT. Oh, well, his name is Trent Terry. Big TT. Big TT. <laughs> but who just looks at a baby and is like, let's give him two first names. Right? But I guess it would be weird if their last name was already a first name and then they That's had to true. have like a last name as a first name, so it would be like Wilson Terry. I mean, I've heard of some Wilsons. Oh, I've heard of some Jensen's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. see? Why didn't you ask us for our opinion when naming your child? I know, I'm a freaking genius. Trent Terry, he was 44 at the time, and he did some bath salts. That's drugs. He's not taking a bath, he is... (laughs) (laughs) That's drugs. (laughs) Just had to make sure people were on the same page. He was not soaking. He was taking drugs. He was using and abusing. This is not really unusual for Terry because he has faced drug charges charges before, but the cheer and fear that this man spread is unmatched in this little case. I'm, wait, did you say cheer oh, and fear? Oh, just you wait. Oh. <laughs> so, I think it is important to note, though, while Terry may have had his go with drugs, he was also involved in his community and his outreach program with convicted felons. And he was involved in programs like the Boy Scouts and his church. So he was like a decent guy. He just had some demons like we all do. Um, but, you know, Terry's was just like a mix of drugs and holiday cheer. So. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> this was in November in Vandalia, Ohio. And Terry kind of, you know, entered a home illegally. Oh. While he was on his bath salts. He just kind of beep-bopped in the back door. <laughs> so. Once he got in there, you know, Terry didn't really destroy things. He actually did some decorating. He hung a wreath on the very door he illegally entered the home through. He lit (laughs) candles and placed them on the kitchen table and the coffee table. And he added some Christmas decor and then snuggled on the couch watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That sounds like a weird Hallmark movie, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like the only kind of homework movie I'd watch, you know? (laughs) So he was just chilling, and then an 11-year-old child walked in and, you know, saw a man that they don't know surrounded by candles and Christmas decorations watching TV. (laughs) So he did the logical thing and called his mother, who was next door, and the mom came over and, you know, called the police. But apparently our boy Terry was so polite when he left. I have a quote. Get ready to cry some tears. I'm ready. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I'll get my things and go. Oh. I know. I was like, he just wanted some Christmas friends. Um, but anyways, that was wrong, Terry, and we don't break into other people's homes. So that's it. I don't know what oh. happened to Terry, but I hope he got the help that he needed, and he's still doing nice things. I hope so. Yeah, I hope he got help. He sounds like a cool guy. Yeah. I mean, if I want, if I were to pick somebody to break and enter into my home... It'd be him. It would be him. I'd want him to decorate my home for Christmas. Hopefully he decorated tastefully. Yeah. I Maybe the bath salts help that. Maybe. Don't try it at home, <laughs> Don't kids. try it. Please. Please don't. If, if you're not decorating tastefully, don't turn to bath salts to help. Yeah. <laughs> Pinterest is a thing. <laughs> I'm just imagining, you know, like the dare squad. Pinterest, not bath salts. Did you do dare? Is that a thing for you? Yeah. So, Pinterest, not bath salts. I get that on a t-shirt, actually. Oh, I can see it. But it's like, it's got to be Pinteresty though. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got an image. Anyways. Well, thanks for that fun story. Oh, Terry sounds amazing. I know. Good luck, Terry. Yeah, good luck. All right. Well, that's all the stories we've got for you today. Anything else you want to add, Rachel? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is our first foray into the podcasting world, but we will be publishing every two weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Um, you can like and subscribe to us on anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I forget all the rest, but basically anywhere you listen to them, normally you can find us. And thanks for joining us. Have a great week.